from Tiffany, who's going to be bringing forth the word today. I didn't know that this was the most depressing Sunday of the year, but I thank you for this honor. <laughs> um, so if you've been gathering with Zion for a while, you know that our pastor, Justin, doesn't preach every Sunday, right? You know we have a preaching team. And uh, lately, it's been Pastor Justin who's been organizing the schedule and assigning us our passages. And when I saw that today's passage was assigned to me, I groaned. I groaned because today's passage is about the female disciples of Jesus. And I thought, of course, I, I messaged Justin, I was like, of course, of course you would assign the passage about women to the only female, sir. <laughs> just give me Ruth, let's just, let's just fulfill that stereotype. And Justin said, yeah, no, I, I saw that worked out and I'm actually really happy about it because there's so much in the scriptures about the women who are in the church, so much. And then I said, well, I thought that's true, and I didn't want to go through all that. So, but here we are. Today's passage is about women. I want to welcome everyone to Zion's Women's Conference. <laughs> Let us pray. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of all of us. However you have created us, that you are over us all, and we thank you that you are the one who is going to speak through your word today. We thank you that you are the one whose spirit is present. You are the one we worship. You are the one we glorify, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would remove us, the sense of us, from this pulpit, Lord. That you would speak. You would be here, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's grab our service sheets, grab our Bibles. We are... As Justin mentioned, we are going back to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. So this passage takes place after the account of the woman who went into the home where Jesus was, and she's washing his feet with her hair. You guys remember that? She's crying, and she's anointing him with perfume. So this text takes place right after that. Luke chapter 8. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It says, Soon afterward... He went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for Praise God for his word. Three verses today. You know, there's this amazing illustration that goes around the internet amongst uh, Christians that I know every once in a while. It's this picture drawn by a woman named Sister Grace Remington, who's a nun in a convent uh, in Mississippi. Maybe you've seen it. In this picture, she draws two women, two women. So the first woman on the right, this is your right, right? The right on the right is Mary. Mary who's pregnant with baby Jesus. And you see Mary standing there and she has her hand on another woman. It's Eve. She's consoling Eve as Eve has her hand on Mary's belly. 
And Eve looks, you can tell, Eve kind of looks a bit shameful. She's holding her apple, the apple that doomed humans to a life of sin and death. She's holding that apple, and around Eve's leg is the serpent which has entrapped her. Eve's leg is the serpent which has entrapped her. But if you look closely, you see that the serpent that had wound himself around Eve's leg, his head is being crushed under Mary's foot. Under Mary's foot. Now this is a moving image, this picture of two women. It's a moving image for anyone who has ever thought that the spiritual history of humankind started off with this woman who doomed humanity to sin and death and the rest of the Bible exalting the male heroes of the faith. You got Noah, you got Moses, you got Abraham, you got the prophets, you have Jesus, you have the apostles, Peter, Paul. It's almost as if it were only men who were faithful to God. It was only men who were leading the charge for the redemption of creation. And only women who were told to be silent in the church. And yet, as we read Luke's gospel, which we have been going through, if you remember the beginning, Luke tells his friend, dear Theophilus, hey, Theo, friend, let me write an orderly account for you. Let me tell you exactly how it went down. When we read Luke, we so Rodney Stark, herds of the church were women. Two-thirds, a majority of Christians in the second century were women. And this is interesting because it's the opposite of the population back then. So back in the Greco-Roman world, only a third of the population were women. Only a third. It was very imbalanced. And there's a, there's a number of reasons why. But one of the reasons is because girls were not valued as much as boys, so they would abandon baby girls to die. So it led to this imbalance, this imbalance. The church was so dominated by women that it gave critics something to say against Christianity. Let me read you this quote. This is, this is going to come from a Greek, philosopher and Celsus, a Greek philosopher and writer named Celsus. He wrote that the Christians show they want and are able to convince only the foolish dishonorable and stupid, only slaves, women, and little children. See, there was no equality in how men and women were viewed in the context of when the church came up. Women were absolutely the lower class, absolutely. So then it's remarkable then when we read these scriptures and we see all these positive mentions of women in the gospels and we realize that God has chosen to use women significantly in his redemptive mission of his people. God has intentionally uplifted women in his work of the gospel. And many of us in the church have either missed this point or we think it's a bad thing. Many of us would be like, why are there so many women in the church? It's because your worship is too feminine. It's because your small groups, men don't want to sit around and talk about their feelings. Well, I have news for them. It was that way long before Hillsong. <laughs> I, uh, I was reading an article recently 
It was. It was. You look around. This is, this is not a unique thing. You look around at other churches. I was reading this article um, that talked about how great, how, how, what a great stride we've made in, uh, in the equality of genders and how women or little girls are now encouraged to be bold and fearless and play sports and take up leadership and major in STEM, right? We've, we've, we've advanced in that, but we haven't advanced for boys. We haven't encouraged boys to, be, to have attributes normally associated with women, to be empathetic, to be hospitable, to be emotionally vulnerable and expressive. And that's because we still see these traditional feminine traits as weakness, as weakness. Yet, it's often these traits that build relationships and gain a hearing for the gospel. So let's look. Let's look in today's passage and see what we can glean from the, these types of women who were serving with Jesus in his early ministry. Let's look. Let's look. These three verses. Let's see what we can find out. So the first thing, just from the passage to note here in Luke 8, is that Jesus was not traveling alone. Right? So David Gilbert preached a few weeks ago about how Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, the 12 that he chose to be apostles back in chapter 6. He sent them out to do ministry with power and in vulnerability. But this passage takes place before that. The disciples are still just witnesses and companions. And Luke reminds us that it wasn't just these 12 that were with Jesus, that there were many more disciples that Jesus had many more who traveled with him as he proclaimed the good news. And Luke makes sure to tell us that this larger group of disciples included women. He wrote that the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of spirits and infirmities. So they were, they were healed, they had problems with demons and illnesses. These were women who were healed by Jesus. So that's the first type of woman we see. Amongst Jesus' band of followers were women who Jesus healed, who received healing from Jesus. So Mary, called Magdalene, uh, is in here. Magdalene just means a woman from the city of Magdala. It's like saying that's Maria from Jersey. <laughs> Maria from Jersey is here. She's amongst them. It says that Mary was freed from seven demons. Now, this is an interesting uh, fact, right? Like, why would women who received healing from Jesus, why would that be noted? They're part of this group of disciples. So the clue comes from the passage that comes right before this text. Pastor Justin preached on this. I mentioned it earlier, the woman who was washing Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. This woman Jesus used as an example to the Pharisees who were judging her, saying, hey, yo, this woman, this woman is... Um, <clears throat> this woman is crying out of gratitude for the sins that would be forgiven. She's being grateful to her Savior. See, women who know the muck that Jesus has brought us out of, women who know what it was, life was, before Jesus, we know to cherish the new life and salvation we've received. You know, these women, whatever they had been in, was be it sin, be it demons, illness, pain, abuse, abandonment, rejection. Women who have been through it, 
know what the gospel means. We know, I know maybe some of us here are resonating with that. Maybe some of us came to Christ because of that. These women who have been healed by Jesus follow him out of gratitude because they're grateful. They know that this unconditional love of God is mind-blowing to the life that they had when they were oppressed by demons, when they were bleeding, when they were sick, when they were oppressed by society. They know that Jesus has given them a new life. They've experienced this mercy of God and, and they're, they're gonna follow him. Later in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is being crucified, we see Luke records that there was a great multitude of women who were there and they were mourning and lamenting over him. See, this woman at the feet of Jesus is crying. So this is devotion, but this is also emotion but both are based on a real experience with the Savior. So when I became a Christian, many of you know I wasn't raised in the church. When I became a Christian, I used to take pride in the fact that I chose Jesus because I believed it was the truth. Like I, I really thought I made the decision to follow Jesus because of logic. And the reason why I was so proud of that was because I thought that Christians just became Christians because they were emotionally weak, because they were emotionally needy. You guys remember, I don't know if it was the 90s, how we used to preach the gospel. You got a hole in your heart. <laughs> Jesus has to fill that hole. So, so that's what I thought. Yo, y'all got holes. <laughs> y'all got holes in your heart, and that's why you became Christian, but not me. Yo, I'm 17, I know. <laughs> I'm embarrassed now that I think about it, but... Uh, <laughs> But there's a difference. There is a difference between those who are following Jesus out of this flurry of emotion. You know, when you get that high on a retreat and you come back, you're like, I'm going to Guam, like on missions. You guys know that feeling, right? Um, and those who have a real experience with the Lord. The passage says that these women had been healed. And, and the way it phrases it, it sounds like it's been a while ago, right? They had been healed. This is past tense. These women aren't weak. They're not looking for Jesus to fill. So they've already been set free. They already know Jesus got them. Jesus is going to get them. And they're, they're going to follow him. They didn't dismiss what was received. They cherished this new life. And we should ask ourselves then, you know, when we're reading this, do we really understand what we've received? Do we? Do we? This is a real question. Do we understand the situation we were in before Christ redeemed us? Do we know the life that we were in and the life or the death that we were headed towards before we began to follow Jesus? You know, that is also past tense. The cross is also past tense. That is already done. We have been redeemed, but do we cherish this? Are we following out of gratitude like these women? Hey, I know who you are, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Or is it out of obligation? Is it a burden? Is it a burden? Or is, do we value this mercy as Mary from Magdala and these women who were healed now do, now following as Jesus' disciples. These women who are following him are following him out of gratitude. Now the second type of women we see in this text who are following Jesus as one of his disciples appear to be women with some form of power and privilege. Now, there are these women, apparently, they have enough wealth and resources that they could support Jesus' disciples 
and Jesus himself as they've been traveling from town to town. Here, Joanna is mentioned, another woman named Susanna. Um, they were probably also healed from a man named Kuza. Kuza was a manager, you could say a steward in King Herod's household. King Herod was a vassal king, he's like a puppet king of Judea at the time. If you've read Matthew, you know that he's famous for things such as uh, killing young children when he heard that the Messiah was born. Uh, you might remember from Luke, he arrested and beheaded John the Baptist because John dared to speak against his sins. So Joanna's husband works for him. And this tells us that Joanna is part of the upper class of society. She's from the upper echelon of society. Now, we don't know much about Kuza. We don't hear about him again. Some historians said that uh, women who are in the upper class, they would convert, but their husbands wouldn't just to, you know, maintain their clout, maintain their political position and power, you know, their influence in society. Um, influence in society. But wherever Kuza was in his view of Jesus, we know that Joanna was faithful. We know that Joanna was faithful. And we also know that this relationship she has, this marriage, this status of Joanna elevates her. She is not like the vulnerable women that we see with Jesus. She's not like the widows who are needing help. Joanna is a woman of means. She's the woman carrying the Hermes bag. She's dressed in Chanel. She's got the house in the Hamptons, the house in Florida. She doesn't know what the price of eggs is. She <laughs> Somehow, this woman married to someone who works for Herod, somehow this woman also thinks following Jesus is worth it for her too. You know, it's interesting how the early followers of Jesus, they broke socioeconomic barriers. I mean, after all, why would Joanna want to hang out? Joanna should be chilling with people in high society. Why would she want to go with this these tax collectors and these fishermen going around, uh, going around from city to city. See, the women who were freely giving their wealth, giving their resources, the text says their means to the ministry of Christ, they epitomize Jesus' parable, where he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. See, no one would understand why Joanna, Joanna, would sell all she had and buy that crusty, dry field that nothing can grow on. What are you doing, Joanna? Except Joanna, who knew the treasure that was in that field. See, we too, as disciples of Jesus, many years later, we also have to ask ourselves, do we truly understand the value of the ministry of Jesus? Do we think the proclamation of the gospel is worth our money, is worth our support? Do we think that? Are we willing to hang out with people we would never hang out with just to be near to Christ? See, Joanna is doing something that's totally opposite of what she should be doing. Jo Joanna put her money where her mouth is. She wasn't just professing to follow Christ. She wasn't just saying, oh, thank you for healing me. See you later. No, she, like Zacchaeus, she used her money to show 
She showed her faith by using her money for this work. Now, I know we're comfortable, we're uncomfortable when we talk about money. I know pastors, they hate to talk about tithing, but I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I'm not a pastor and I don't get paid. So I have no problem telling us that our bank statement is going to reveal our worship. Our credit card statement is going to show what we love, be it our family, be it ourselves, be it our image, be it our comfort, be it our pleasure, be it our God. See, Joanna, who should have had people serving her, is the word used, she's serving them. She's serving the fishermen. She's serving the tax collector. She's serving Jesus with her means. Now, we should consider how much we think the proclamation of the gospel is worth it. How much do we think that Jesus' ministry to share the good news for people to come to Christ, how much do we think is worth it? The second type of woman gave their wealth to what they thought was worth it. Finally, the third type of woman, which only becomes apparent. It's a little outside of this passage. It becomes apparent only after we finish reading the Gospels. So this is the first time we hear of Mary Magdalene uh, and Joanna, but the next time they're mentioned, way out in chapter 24, they're witnessing Jesus' lifeless body being laid in the tomb. After Jesus' death, the woman went home to prepare spices for, their, for the body. See, they thought Jesus was dead, but in cultural practice, he would prepare spices to, I guess, lay over the body, kind of to honor it, to mask the smell as it rots. So these women, they, their service to Christ, even after death, did not end. They were loyal. Their devotion was unwavering. Yet, as we all know, they found the tomb empty. So their spices were unused. And according to John's gospel, it was Mary, a woman, who received the honor of being the first person to see the risen Christ. See, the first female disciples of Jesus were not deterred by threat of death or persecution by their association with Jesus. There's no record of the woman denying Peter, I mean, denying Jesus, as Peter did when he was recognized as one of Jesus' followers. They didn't betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, as Judas did. They didn't doubt the angel's good news, as Thomas doubted the good news. But they ran boldly to announce to the other disciples, I have seen Jesus. He has risen. And of course, everyone celebrated, right? No, they dismissed them. They dismissed them, probably because they were women. Mary, Joanna, probably Susanna, even though she's not mentioned by name, they were faithful to the very end. This third type of woman were faithful to the very end. And we have to look at this with admiration because I don't know, would we have such faith? Would we have such faith? If our community dissipated, if Zion was no more, when all hope seems lost, when we would be persecuted and mocked for following Jesus, when Jesus himself appears gone, would we still believe? Would we still 
have faith. The path of a disciple calls for endurance. And when we see these women, even after his death, preparing spices, we know they were faithful to the very end and they received their reward for it. Now the trouble with looking at all these amazing women as reflections for ourselves is that we end up facing this stark and unpleasant reality. And I don't think we talk about this enough. And that is that we cannot conjure up gratitude for Jesus just because we ought to. We can't use our wealth, our resources for his mission because we do love ourselves a little too much. And it would be so bold for us to say that we would never deny Jesus, as Peter declared right before he fell. Yeah, we have to remember, we have to remember that the model seen in this woman is not a measure of law, it's a measure of grace. We think, Christians, I know, those of us who have been in the church, we think we have to make ourselves godly, that we have to somehow ascend to this plane of being a Christian, and that's, that's some, sometimes that's a standard that's too high for a lot of us. But the reality is that it was Jesus who descended to our plane. It was Jesus who came to meet us where we are. Instead of desiring healing, Jesus came down to be broken. Instead of going to his death like it's such an easy thing to follow God, Jesus is crying, take this cup from me. If it's possible, take this cup, take this fate away from me. Instead of requiring this perfect, faithful walk, which many of us in the church think we have to do, Jesus declared that Peter would be the rock upon which he builds his church. See, Jesus did not said, suddenly make us give us standards that we have to attain in order to walk with him. Jesus has experienced our weaknesses. Jesus has experienced being human. Jesus has experienced not wanting to obey. Jesus is also our God who empowers us to follow him. It's Jesus who is helping us follow him, who's helping us walk with him. Jesus is not sitting there ticking off the things that we're not doing. He's saying, through you, I'm going to build my church. You are my church, and I love you. It's Jesus who we should learn how we should see women in the church. See, Jesus chose women to first announce his resurrection. Even if the critics of Christianity are like, you know, it's these stupid women that are being Christian. Jesus is like, nah, it's okay. I know what you think. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Jesus was dependent on the financial resources of women to be able to travel from city to city, town to town in order to preach the good news. Jesus healed women and welcomed them as his disciples and we haven't even gotten into the book of Acts. We don't even know what's going to happen with the women. The scriptures do not hide the contributions of women to God's work. They celebrate it with their intentional inclusion of these mentions where without women, the mission would not have gone forward. We could take out these three verses from Luke and it wouldn't change the narrative. 
But Luke is like, no, let me give you an orderly account. Let me let you know there were women there. There were women who were with Christ. We should, not just women, we should all look to women, as, look to faithful women as models for our lives. We should look to Mary, Joanna, Susanna, not dismissing them, not seeing their ministries or their personhood as lesser. Rather, rather than only upholding David as a model of bravery, because he threw a rock and knocked down a giant, let men study Esther and learn how they can be humbly used by God even when they're afraid. Let men know it's okay to be afraid and God will still use them. Rather than only talking about Peter and Paul, let men's Bible studies study Ruth and let them know that the loyalty of this woman, the kindness of this woman to, this rel to her relative allowed God to move, allowed God to redeem them through his servant. Rather than dismissing the work of motherhood and allowing Z kids to be completely run by women, let men study the scriptures where God describes himself as a mother. God calls himself a mother to his people. And let the men reflect on this and consider how they might serve the children. How might they be like God in this way to his smallest disciples? Many of us forget in Genesis 3, in the account of creation, poetically, it says that in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them male and female. Men and women were given dominion over the earth. We were partners from the start. We are partners as the new creation, the new earth comes forth. That has never changed. So let us trust that God will reform our minds where it has been deformed. Let us trust Christ so that we may live as faithful women do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. As I prayed earlier, you are God of all, Lord. You have created us, you have made us, and we ask that you would forgive us for the ways we have changed your plans, Lord. Father, we thank you. You are here. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If uh, anyone is needing prayer, we have leaders on the side uh, to pray with you during, as uh, we conclude our service.